tonight. At this global event, this universal stage, whose storied past is rivaled only by the promise of an even bigger future. Millions will watch from around the world, waiting, anticipating for that next breathtaking moment. The stage is set. The time is now. History is at hand. This is WrestleMania. Welcome everyone, welcome to WrestleMania Salvation. This week's episode, we are looking at the WrestleMania from the great up north. That's right, it is WrestleMania 6, the ultimate challenge. Live from the Sky Dome in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This one of only two WrestleManias to be held outside the United States. The date for this WrestleMania April 1st, 1990. That's right. This podcast has entered the 90s. The attendance for this event? A record-setting 67,678 people packed into the Sky Dome. The ultimate challenge was something issued by Hulk Hogan one week after the two cross paths and the Royal Rumble match. Those two, of course, being Hulk Hogan. And his greatest challenger to date, especially in popularity, we're talking about the Ultimate Warrior. Now, say what you will about the Ultimate Warrior. A lot of people have different perspectives on how his wrestling career went. But, in 1990, there was few as popular as the Ultimate Warrior. And that will be evident in this episode today as we journey back to talk about the WrestleMania where the Intercontinental Champion faced off against the World Heavyweight Champion in a winner-take-all match, title for title. This WrestleMania opens with what I consider the WrestleMania song. Take a listen. Prepare to explode. Champion versus champion. Title for title. It's the ultimate challenge. It's WrestleMania. Now we kick off the festivities tonight in Canada with Robert Goulet himself here to sing America the Beautiful. What's that? He won't be singing America the Beautiful? He'll only sing the Canadian National Anthem. Really? Well, if he insists, I mean, I guess. So even though it breaks tradition, tonight we will hear O Canada from the renowned Robert Goulet. Commentators for WrestleMania, as we have come to know and love them at this point, Gorilla Monsoon, Jesse the Body Ventura. And thank God that is the commentating team because they show a lot of highlights from the Royal Rumble in 1990. And the Royal Rumble 1990 was called by Tony Schiavone. And God help me if they had decided to put Tony Schiavone at WrestleMania in a commentating role. I don't think I could have watched it. 
And it is great to see Gorilla and Ventura back again because this would be the last time Jesse the Body Ventura would commentate a WrestleMania. Next year, WrestleMania 7, we will have somebody new, but we'll talk about that a little later. Let us kick off the night with match number one, Coco Beware against the newly anointed model, Rick Martel. Now, because we're in the Sky Dome, the little ring card is back. It's made its way back here since WrestleMania 3. Obviously, they didn't need the ring card for WrestleMania 4 and 5. That would have been awkward seeing that thing go down the stairs. This is Martel's debut at WrestleMania of the model character. Uh, a character I grew up with and one I had a lot of fondness for. I loved the fact that he used to wear a button that said, Yes, I am a model. I love that he called the fragrance that he came out with arrogance and used to spray arrogance in people's faces. I love the whole shtick. Now, unfortunately, Coco Beware tonight is here pretty much just to be a feeder. I mean, it's a decent match. I am a little disappointed that Coco Beware was chosen as the opponent tonight for Rick Martel. I was hoping we were going to get some type of huge uh, grudge match between him and Tito after what happened when Strike Force broke up. Now, to be fair, Rick Martel and Tito Santana would continue their feud on and off for the next two years. But I really wanted that WrestleMania match. Decent match to open the night. Martel wins with the Boston Crab. Backstage, Mean Gene Oakland is once again here at WrestleMania. This time interviewing Bobby the Green Heenan with the tag champs of Andre the Giant and Haku, known as the Colostomy Connection. No, wait, I'm sorry, Colossal Connection. Gene thought he was funny calling them the Colostomy Connection. Then, Sean Mooney decides to interview Demolition, and they cut a pretty generic old-school WWF promo to the point where Mooney says that what they describe what they're going to do to their opponent sounds like a Demolition Derby, and Axe gives the cartoon answer of, Now you're getting it! <laughs> So, match number two. The WWF Tag Team Championships are on the line as the Colossal Connection goes up against Demolition. Demolition super over. A nice reaction from the crowd for them. Now, this match, unfortunately, is going to show me one thing. And one thing I kind of had a feeling on. See, this match not only starts off with Haku. Haku pretty much spends the entire time in the match. See, I know for a fact that Andre is hurting at this point. You know, it's kind of one of the reasons why they put him in the tag team. Because he just can't go anymore like he was. And he's in a lot of pain. Uh, what I wasn't aware of is he literally doesn't tag into this match. Uh, Haku does all the heavy lifting here. Uh, but the finish does come when Andre gets tied up in the ropes. And... While Andre's helpless, Demolition give Haku their finisher for the three count. Demolition, three-time WWF Tag Team Champions. Or as Gorilla Monsoon would call it, a three-peat. Three-peat! Become three times co-holders of the titles! Three for the World That's Wrestling right. Federation Tag Team Championship! Schedule three-peat! I don't stutter In the ring! Now, after the match, Bobby Heenan is pissed. He is yelling at Andre. He's screaming at Andre. 
and he's pointing his finger in Andre's face and Andre's had just about all he's going to take of that and throws Heenan down to the ground throws Haku down to the ground beats them up a little bit uh, Haku and Heenan try to escape in the little ring cart but no, Andre shoves them out of the way and he gets in the cart and he leaves so Heenan and Haku are forced to walk back Walk of shame. Backstage again, and Gene Oakland is with the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, and Earthquake. Earthquake is bobbing in place like Brock Lesnar does. It's a little weird. Match three features the mighty Hercules, because that's his new moniker, versus Earthquake. Now, prior to the match starting, we are told that the undefeated Earthquake has put 28 men in the hospital. Why we're told that not exactly sure and I somehow doubt that 28 people job to Earthquake on WWF television so I'm assuming they're including house shows this match is alright I mean you got two big dudes and and the problem being Earthquake's like really big so Hercules spends most of the time uh, fighting from underneath and speaking of fighting from underneath Hercules was fighting to breathe after Earthquake flattened him with his sit-on-his-face finisher. Then, to make things even worse, he gives him another Earthquake splash after the bell. Quake literally squashes Hercules. Hercules, although the match was not amazing, uh, he, he got in a little bit of offense. So, you know, good on that. But ultimately, this match was to showcase Earthquake. Now, next we go to what I thought was a very peculiar segment. We go to a special backstage sit-down interview segment as Rona Barrick is with the lovely Miss Elizabeth. Rona is stunned by the amazing good looks of Miss Elizabeth and says that her fans want to know when is she coming back. She's been away from ringside for so long. Miss Elizabeth thanks Rona for being so kind and generous and says, you know, she's taking more of a backstage role and she's not ready to be ringside right now. Rona, of course, pushes to say that she's needed at ringside. Miss Elizabeth gives us a little hint that we'll be seeing her later as she says, if I do come back, Rona, I plan on being a lot more involved. We throw to Sean Mooney, who was with Brutus Beefcake backstage. I don't know what Sean Mooney walked in on, but he was a little bit surprised to find Brutus in that locker room. Brutus the Barber Beefcake, what are you doing? Eh, maybe Brutus just saw the Elizabeth interview. Brutus says he'll expose Mr. Perfect's flaws tonight. When Brutus the Barber Beefcake takes on Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect with Lanny Poffo the Genius. That's right. The Genius is here in all his college graduate weird colored robe and hat glory genius takes the mic from finkel and introduces perfect himself this feud stems from this year's royal rumble and that's going to be a reoccurring theme tonight when perfect attacked brutus after brutus's match with the genius brutus with the early advantage with some fast-paced offense but perfect slows it down and regains the advantage as the match goes on, at one point, Genius gets up on the apron and distracts the ref, 
Perfect grabs Genius's metal scroll and cracks Beefcake in the head with it. However, Beefcake kicks out it too. Perfect then starts slapping Beefcake around until Beefcake slingshots Perfect over the turnbuckle and into the steel post. Because that's a classic wrestling move that we know today. But maybe it wasn't back then? Shockingly enough, this is enough to give Brutus the one, two, three. That's right, folks. <sighs> Brutus the Barber Beefcake has just pinned Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania. You've got to be kidding me. Oh, if he wasn't Hulk Hogan's boy. Anyway, Brutus then tries to pander to the crowd and cut Perfect's hair, but Genius takes his shears so he can't cut his hair, and then Perfect gets the fuck out of Dodge, so Brutus goes after Genius, and Genius is caught and beat up by Brutus as Perfect gets in the ring cart and leaves, literally leaves his manager there. Brutus puts the sleeper on Genius for literally five seconds, uh, and that's good enough to send Genius to La La Land. Brutus pulls out actual scissors, as opposed to the garden shears, and cuts the Genius's hair to the crowd's delight. How the fuck did this get over? I... ugh. I understand in the, in the 70s and 80s that hair versus hair was a big, big blow-off type of feud. And, and cutting somebody's hair is embarrassing, but oh my god, this is the fucking stupidest fucking shit. Ugh. Can he just, like, break his face already in the fucking motorboat accident so I don't have to see this shit anymore? I think that's coming soon. But anyway, as if that wasn't enough, the next match on the card is one of the most controversial in WWF history. And I had originally forgot that this match took place at this WrestleMania. We got a video package showing how this feud started. What feud, you ask? Well, this is the feud between Rowdy, Rowdy, Piper, and Bad News Brown. Now, if you're not familiar with this feud, please allow me to bring you up to speed. Uh, at the Royal Rumble, see the theme. Piper eliminates Bad News Brown. Bad News Brown is all types of pissed off. So he jumps Piper after he got eliminated and pulls Piper over the top rope. For some reason the referees let this stand and those two fight to the back. Over the next couple weeks on TV, it gets real personal between Piper and Brown. And, you know, they're, they're, they rip on each other. Um... Piper tends to get a little bit racist when he does it. Oh, but you ain't seen nothing yet. We go backstage to Gene Oakland, and you can only see one half of Piper. Piper is saying that he's going to kick the shit out of Bad News Brown. And uh, But who exactly is going to kick the shit out of Bad News Brown? Is it going to be the Hot Rod? Or the Hot Scott. And when he says, or the Hot Scott, he turns around and we, the audience, get to see that in 1990, Rowdy Piper has painted half his body black. And I mean like jet black. But it's only half his body. So, in Vince's mind, this must not be racist at all. Uh, Piper plays up the fact that he's got dual personalities, which I guess is better than trying to pretend he was half black. 
And he says he's coming for a fight with Bad News Brown. Oh, fuck, how racist can you fucking get? You know, Nitromania does this little bit where they ask, is this racist? And then they tell you something that happened on Nitro and you let you decide if it was racist or not. Uh, we don't need to decide. This was literally the most racist thing the WWF did at 1990. Or, for that matter, in the 90s. Um, at least it's the one that stands out the most to me. And it's going to get worse. Oh, it's going to get worse. And to make things worse, this match was garbage. It wasn't even a match. They tried to play it off like a brawl. I guess it was a brawl, kind of. Um, you want to know when it gets really racist? So Piper, at one point, pulls a white glove out of his trunks, puts it on the hand that's painted black, and starts to bitch slap Bad News Brown with it. Oh, boy. This is the same company that had three roles for black wrestlers for X amount of years. Pimp? Religious gospel singer and aborigine. Hey, Kamala, how you doing? Hopefully you're doing better. Even though your gimmick didn't come originally in the WWF. Nevertheless, they don't even get a finish to this match. Piper and Bad News Brown just fight and fight and fight to the outside to what is either a double countout or a double DQ. Honestly, I didn't hear Fink at the end of it. I'm just fucking glad it was over. Let's move on, shall we? Match number seven was the Hart Foundation versus the, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Bolsheviks, who were Nikolai Volkov and some other Bolshevik guy. Uh, it's really not much to say about this match because it literally lasted 19 seconds. Bell rang. Uh, after the Hart Foundation attacked uh, the Bolsheviks during the Russian National Anthem. Right after the attack, they put on the heart attack finisher and pinned Volkov in 19 seconds. Ouch. And then, if this portion of the night could not be any more shit, <laughs> we get a fucking commercial for WrestleMania 7. Next year, WrestleMania 7 invades Los Angeles. Join us! at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Yeah. Uh, here's a spoiler alert. WrestleMania 7 next year is in Los Angeles, but they don't get to go to the Los Angeles Coliseum. I'm sure there's a valid reason for it. Then we go to match number 8, and Jesus Christ, could the portion of this program get any worse? Tito Santana, Mr. No Charisma, Versus the Barbarian with Bobby Heenan. And speaking of racist, Jesse Ventura does nothing but make Mexican jokes the entire match. Tito is uh, not really over. Crowd is pretty dead for this one. As is my mood watching this. Tito hits the flying forearm, but Heenan puts Barbarian's foot on the bottom rope to save him from the three count. Similar to what Heenan did last year with the Warrior and Rick Rude. Uh, Barbarian then finishes off Tito with a flying clothesline off the second rope. So Tito Santana goes from prestigious Intercontinental Champion to 
the 1990s version of Dolph Ziggler. A good hand, but nobody gives a shit about him. Finally, we go out of the, we get out of this little lull, and we go back up, and we get a video package of Dusty Rhodes' feud with the Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho Man at this time calling himself the Macho King, and always accompanied by his queen, sensational Queen Sherry. Dusty Rhodes is just a common man, and he is with his common woman, Sapphire. Now, Sean Mooney interviews a polka-dotted Dusty who promises to end the reign of the Macho King. Dusty is obviously in the WWF for a very short period of time, but, you know, I still to this day don't get Vince's obsession with burying a top talent from another territory. And, and it's kind of a game of picking and choosing because, you know, he handpicked Hulk Hogan from the AWA to be his, his face of the company. But to sign Dusty just to embarrass him doesn't make any fucking sense to me, which pretty much proves why Dusty didn't stick around in the WWF. I'll give Dusty credit. He, he tr- fucking tried his ass off, especially in this match. Now, Howard Finkel announces this as the first ever mixed tag match in WWF history. Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire versus the Macho King, Randy Savage, with Sensational Queen Sherry. Sherry's outfit tonight can only be described as an ugly Disney knockoff of Maleficent. I'm not kidding. And this marks Dusty Rhodes' WrestleMania debut. Crowd loves Dusty even though they're in Toronto, Canada. You know, they don't have to be down south for for anybody to love Dusty. Uh, Dusty even cuts a pre-match promo, which we all know, that's one of his amazing golden traits, is his ability to talk you into the building. And when he cuts that promo, we get a resounding pop, especially for the past half-hour shit that we just had to go through, as Dusty introduces a special surprise. Coming down to the ring... And who will be in Dusty's corner tonight is the lovely First Lady of the WWF, Miss Elizabeth. As you can imagine, Macho Man's beside himself. Sherry's also a little pissed off. Now, as the match starts, obviously Savage and Dusty start off, but eventually Sapphire and Sherry get tagged in. You know, God bless Sapphire. God bless that woman. She tried. I don't know how much training she had prior to this match, but she can't wrestle. She's pretty much Eva Marie bad. She does, however, pick up the pin for her team with a little help from Miss Elizabeth, who made good on her promise from earlier when she said that she would be more involved. So there you go. And of course, Dusty and Sapphire celebrate by dancing. Sadly. This was Dusty's only WrestleMania match. But, unlike Sting, Dusty won his only WrestleMania match. That's right, I went there. And then we get another commercial for WrestleMania 7 in the LA Coliseum. Oh, God. They're just going to double down all night, aren't they? Uh, Meanwhile, we go back to the commentators, and and they're talking about they can't wait to get 100,000 people next year in the LA Coliseum. Here's a spoiler alert for you. It would take Vince another 25 years 
before he packed a hundred thousand people into a WrestleMania venue. In fact, by the time Vince did it, I'm pretty sure the LA Coliseum was torn down. I might be wrong, but I can guarantee you that Vince McMahon had delusions of grandeur and thought that he was going to pack in a hundred thousand people into the LA Coliseum in 1991. Oh, Vince. Always looking to take over the world. How's that XFL doing? Anyway, we go backstage and Gene Oakland's with Bobby Heenan. And obviously Gene wants to know what the hell just happened with the Colossal Connection. Well, tonight, Bobby decides to cut a classic promo. It's a promo I have heard before, and it's a promo I'm going to let you guys listen to right now. Back with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Family members falling like the Berlin Wall. Bobby Heenan, I find that you're tougher to get along than a mother-in-law on a weekend visit to my house. Don't you concern yourself about getting along with me. I'm the easiest guy in the world to get along with. But when you're 540 pounds, you're 7 feet 4, and it takes two and a half hours for the blood to reach the brain, you don't think real white, Wait right? a minute, but Bobby Eden, where do you have the ball, the nerve to hit Andre the Giant in the face? Well, I'll tell you where I got the, the nerve to hit Andre in the face. You take orders from me. I'm the head of the family. You listen to me, you go to the top. You don't listen to me, you're never heard from again. Apparently, this is backstage interview time as Sean Mooney interviews an irate Macho King who's pissed off and says that well, not gonna happen. it's not going to happen again the next time him and Dusty Rhodes get in the same ring. And then we go back to Gene Oakland, who's with the new tag champs, Demolition, and they'll take on all comers. And then back to Gorilla and Jesse. And then back to Gene Oakland, who's with Hulk Hogan. Hogan promises the warrior that the power in the WWF lies in his hands. True words have never been spoken. But if the warrior is ready to die, then they can both live in immortality. Well, that doesn't sound like a cult. Here's the thing. If you think Hogan's promo's crazy, <laughs> wait till you hear warriors. Thank you, Mean Gene. I'm with the reigning intercontinental champion, the old- You are nothing but a normal! You don't deserve to breathe the same air that I and Hulk Hogan do. Hulk Hogan, I must ask you now, as you asked me, do you, Hulk Hogan, want your ideas, your beliefs, to live forever? For Hulk Hogan, in this normal world, physically, none of us can live forever. But the places you have taken the Hulkamaniacs, the ideas and the beliefs you have given them, can live through me, Hulk Hogan. That is why I breathe. That is why the warriors have come. I will look at you, and you will realize then that I have come to do no one no harm, but only Hulk Hogan take what we both believe in to places it shall never have been. Match number 10, the Orient Express with Mr. Fuji versus Marty Jannetty, Shawn Michaels, the Rockers. I gotta say this, the Express and Mr. Fuji get a ton of heat on Jannetty. And it's pretty decent. You know, quick tag gets Shawn into the ring and then they hit a double super kick. 
You know, their tandem office is off the charts. We all knew that about the Rockers. It's just too bad that one of them would continue his meteoric, meteoric rise and the other one uh, wouldn't. Anyway, the Express soon regained the advantage. They punished Sean for a while. Again, Sean Selling is amazing even at this young stage in his career. Uh, hot tag goes to Janetti. Janetti cleans house, but... Janetti gets counted out after Tanaka throws salt into Janetti's eyes. And Janetti is blind, so he walks into the guardrail and completely, completely does a head-over-heels flip onto the arena floor on the other side of the guardrail. To the point where either Marty oversold the shit on that, or he didn't realize the guardrail was as close as it was and legit ran into it. Ah, Marty Janetti. Match 11, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, you know, one of my favorites, versus the world's strongest man, Dino Bravo, with the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart, and Earthquake is also in Dino Bravo's corner. Jesus Christ. Talk about stacking the deck against Duggan. Duggan retardedly chants USA, even though they're in Canada. Now... Duggan actually pins Dino Bravo after he hits him with the 2x4 behind the referee's back. Because, you know, good guy. But, of course, after the match is where the story really lies because Earthquake beats the shit out of Duggan and gives him the face splash where he sits on his face. In fact, Earthquake doesn't do it once. He doesn't do it twice. He does it thrice. Maybe that will send Duggan to the hospital and get him off my screen. I gotta tell you, tonight, they're really building Earthquake as a monster. Like a fucking monster. And it makes sense, uh, considering who he's gonna be feuding with the rest of 1990, but... Now, match number 12 was amazing. This was a match between the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Jake the Snake Roberts. If you guys remember last year at WrestleMania 5, in the last episode on this podcast, Million Dollar Man got involved in Jake's match with Andre the Giant. Uh, Million Dollar Man and Virgil did. And their feud continued all year. Now, the WWF, sorry, the WWF got a little bit of an out because Jake was injured for a portion of the summer. So they got to rekindle the feud late in the fall, which took us to WrestleMania. But still a year-long build, regardless of it cooling off at that point during the summer. And this feud is great, because you know DiBiase is a genius at getting that heat on Jake. And Jake is a genius at making DiBiase fear him. The winner of this match will take home the coveted million dollar title which at this time is being promoted that it is worth one million dollars this is the first time the belt is on the line at this pay-per-view jake roberts gets a huge pop when he comes out and he starts off like a house of fire in fact jake roberts starts out so hot and heavy that he almost hits the ddt twice within the first minute and a half DiBiase, though, will eventually take the advantage and starts getting all that heat on Jake like only DiBiase can. Now, during this, 
the crowd decides to make WrestleMania history. I don't know why. Maybe, you know, it had more to do with the previous match versus who was in the ring currently. Um, But they start doing the wave. Now, I will say this, that it is 1990, and the wave was uh, much more accepted. Even the commentators are getting into it. Um, At least Jesse Ventura is. Uh, And at this point, I would like to say thank you, Toronto. Thank you, you fucking marks. You goddamn assholes for making that part of wrestling. Someone named Gorilla Monsoon is not impressed by the wave or the crowd not paying attention to the match. You can tell he's kind of pissed. DiBiase, though, doesn't panic. He doesn't start speeding up the match. No, no, no. He gets the crowd back with a vicious pile driver to Jake Roberts. DiBiase locks Jake in the Million Dollar Dream, but Jake gets his foot on the rope. Afterwards, Jake starts to make a comeback, and the crowd is into it. He calls for the DDT, but Virgil pulls Jake out of the ring before he can hit it. Jake body slams Virgil on the concrete floor, which was a nice sight. Million Dollar Man then sneaks up behind him and catches him in another Million Dollar Dream. Jake uses all of his weight and momentum to throw Million Dollar Man into the turnpost to get him off of him. Jake is still out of it after the Million Dollar Dream, and Virgil picks up Ted DiBiase and throws him in the ring, barely beating the referee's 10 count and awarding the match to Ted DiBiase. Afterwards... Jake Roberts is fucking pissed. And he runs in the ring, and he beats up Virgil and DiBiase, and then, boom, hits DiBiase with a big DDT, and the crowd fucking pops. Jake whips out the snake. Unfortunately, Virgil gets Million Dollar Man the fuck out of Dodge, and they escape with the Million Dollar title. Next, we get a nice little video package that's showing us the feud between former tag team partners... Akeem, the African Dream, and the Big Boss Man. Boss Man cuts a promo backstage with Sean Mooney talking about Akeem's going to serve some hot time. And I just realized that Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, and Akeem, the African Dream, are on the same show in the same venue at the same time. I wonder if, like, backstage, Dusty just gave him a dirty look and Akeem just, like, wouldn't make eye contact with him. Match 13, Big Boss Man with Akeem. No, excuse me. Big Boss Man versus Akeem with Slick. Slick is key. He's probably the, the focal point of this match because during the Boss Man's entrance, as Boss Man's about to get in the ring, he gets attacked by Ted DiBiase, who was still at ringside because he got laid out with the DDT. And even though Virgil got away, DiBiase didn't. He was still pretty groggy and, and kind of just fell on the ground, and Virgil ran away with the million-dollar belt. So DiBiase, and I not realized this at the time, was still a ringside, and then when Bossman came out, DiBiase attacked the shit out of him and beat the piss out of him before tossing him into Akeem, where Akeem continued beating the shit out of him. And the referee decides to ring the bell. So instead of getting a no contest, we're going to force Boss Man into this match. 
probably the worst decision that they could have made on behalf of Akeem because it only takes Boss Man a minute 49 from when the bell rings to pin Akeem with a sidewalk slam. And then after the match, Boss Man beats the shit out of Slick. Uh, in the first ever police brutality incident at WrestleMania. Next up, we get a live performance from Rhythm and Blues singing their new hit single, Hunka 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 Honky Love. Rhythm and Blues, of course, made up of the Honky Tonk Man, the Colonel, Mouth of the South Jimmy Hart, and Greg the Hammer Valentine, who has dyed his hair black for this gimmick and looks like a fat, ugly Johnny Cash. <sighs> now, here's something that's very cool, though, because Honky Tonk Man, Jimmy Hart, Greg Valentine all come down to the ring in this beautiful pink Cadillac. Uh, there's some honkettes in the car with them. And there's a guy driving this pink Cadillac. Boy, he looks awfully familiar. And I can see why. Because the man driving the Cadillac is none other than Diamond Dallas Page. Now, at this point, 1990, nobody, nobody knew who the fuck Diamond Dallas Page was. But what Diamond Dallas Page had going for him was that he owned a pink Cadillac. And the WWF approached him about using it, and he was like, only if I can drive it. So there you go. DDP sneaks his way into a WrestleMania payday. And he can say that he was at WrestleMania 6 in Sky Dome. Not too many people can say that, especially a WCW alum like Diamond Dallas Page. Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine, and the Honkettes sing this fucking terrible song called Hunka 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 Honky Love. Now, before I can contemplate if this performance is better or worse than Run DMC last year, uh, Honky Tonk Man abruptly stops his performance and starts yelling at two vendors that are ringside that are blocking his shot. Honky Tonk Man then completely ruins the, the bit because he exposes them as the Bushwhackers. And then the Bushwhackers run, run in the ring, Rhythm and Blues run out of the ring, and the Bushwhackers, instead of beating up Rhythm and Blues, just destroy the two guitars. And, like a bunch of fucking marks, the Canadian crowd eats it up and pops huge for this. Well, you know what? I would have popped if they beat up Rhythm and Blues. How about that? Next, we get the official WrestleMania announcement, something we've been missing for the past two years, where Howard Finkel comes out to tell everybody to give themselves a big round of applause, as tonight they have sent a Sky Dome attendance record of 67,000 678 people here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Gorilla and Jesse remind us, don't forget, next year at WrestleMania 7, they're going to go for 100000 And I'm going to tell you this now, I'm not bringing this up to be a dickhead. I'm bringing this up because this is how many times they brought it up during this WrestleMania. Okay? They beat 
it down everyone's throat that they were going to the Coliseum next year. That's all I'm saying. And you know what? This was the first time that they ever promoted where they were going to be the following year. So, mm. match number 13 in what can only be described as a buffer match is Ravishing Rick Rude versus a newly returned to the WWF, Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Uh, Snuka looks awful. Okay? Like, you know, he's, he's still got muscle on him at this point. You know, he's not flabby or anything like that. He, he's still pretty jacked. But, like, ring shape-wise, he looks awful. Like, he just can't move around in there. It's just... It's kind of pathetic. Um, this is Snooka's first WrestleMania appearance since he was in the corner of Hogan and Mr. T at WrestleMania 1. So, apparently he spent the past five years in New Japan Pro Wrestling and the AWA. So, so great to have Jimmy Snooka back. Why did they bring him back? Did they bring him back literally just a job to people? Uh, <laughs> that's like Vince's M.O. when he grabs a... You know, he grabs a really old veteran that he doesn't really like. And he just he just uses them to get over young talent. Which is fine, kind of. Um, but Jimmy Snuka has no place at WrestleMania this year. Uh, he has no place at WrestleMania next year. But guess what? Spoiler alert, he gets one. And it becomes a legendary one, but for all the wrong reasons. We'll talk about that next time. Snuka gets beat by the Rudy uh, Awakening in maybe, maybe two or three minutes? I don't know. Rick would look good, so there you go. But it is now time for our main event of the evening. The Intercontinental Champion, the Ultimate Warrior, versus the WWF World Champion, Hulk Hogan. Winner takes all. No fucking around. No huge ring announcement. No special guest ring announcer. We just hear the Warrior's music as he comes flying down to a loud ovation at the Sky Dome. Now, I will say this. As loud as Warrior's ovation was, was as loud as Hogan's was as well. This is what it's all about, as the old cliche goes. Two of the most popular stars at this point in the WWF going head-to-head in the main event of WrestleMania really is what WrestleMania should always be about. The, this match is the definition of a back-and-forth match. Like the entire, like Warrior does something and then Hogan does something and then Warrior does something and then Hogan does something and then Warrior gets the advantage in the test of strength and then Hogan gets the advantage in the test of strength. The one thing I didn't like is at one point near the beginning of the match, uh, Hogan takes a bad fall to the outside and he fakes like his knee is hurt and he's selling the shit out of it to the point where the camera's right in front of him and he's telling the ref, "Uh, it's my knee man, I think I blew my knee out. So they're literally teasing that this match is going to be like a forfeit or Hogan can't continue or some bullshit. And that's fine. I get that. But when Hogan gets back in the ring, dude, he doesn't even wait one second and the, and the knee is fine. The whole rest of the match, nothing is ever said about the knee again. So Hogan does what he always does and just no-sells everything. Whatever. At one point during the match, uh, the referee gets knocked down, which is very interesting because both Hogan and Warrior get the other one pinned, but there's no referee to count. So again, we're going with very, very even booking here. Um, 
And to be fair, the crowd is pretty split. The crowd is, you know, there's a, there's just as many Hulk Hogan fans as there is Ultimate Warrior fans. Now, as we wind down towards the end of the match, Warrior hits Hogan with a Gorilla Press, and then a Warrior Splash. Hogan hulks up, and the crowd loses their shit. Punch, punch, punch. Big boot. Hogan then goes for the leg drop, but this time... Hogan misses the leg drop. <gasps> Warrior immediately capitalizes with a splash off the ropes and pins Hogan for the one, two, three. Crowd explodes. Even though Hogan tried to discredit the pinfall by kicking out at three. And for everybody who says he kicked out after three, I must have watched this thing about five times and it looked like he kicked out at three. Because he can't be pinned. He can't just fucking lay down. God forbid the great Hulk Hogan just lays down. Now, I will say this, to his credit, probably because he was told to do so, after the match, he grabs the WWF title, he walks up to Warrior, and he, as a class act should, he hands it to Warrior, and they embrace in the middle of the ring. And now, everybody can go home happy. Now, everybody's cheering. And Warrior gets his moment. Warrior gets his moment. He's holding up both the Intercontinental and WWF Championship. Hogan looks distraught, but he leaves. He does leave the ring. You know, Hogan didn't have to pull a Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12 and say, get him the fuck out of my ring. No, Hogan does leave. Warrior gets his accolades. Here's what I loved, and they can only do this in a dome. As, as Warrior's celebrating, we get a really nice touch here with the fireworks going off. Not only at the top of the Sky Dome, but they have a huge firework display in the ring for the Warrior. And that's how, that's that's a WrestleMania moment. When you see Warrior and all these fireworks, and this music's playing and the crowd's going nuts and the flash bulbs are going off, that's a WrestleMania moment. So well done, well done on the main event of 1990's WrestleMania. I like this mania. It was a, there was a lot of up and downs, but there was a lot of stuff to talk about. Hell, I think I'm almost at an hour at this point. But it was a good WrestleMania. Uh, overall, you know, sometimes overall you kind of like, eh, this is dragging. There was a point after like the first hour, maybe like the one hour to like the hour and 45 minute mark, it kind of was like, oh, this is bad. But all in all, overall it was a really fun show. Now, for me, match of the night was DiBiase versus Jake Roberts. Beautiful heel work by DiBiase. Even better storytelling by Jake. Worst match of the night is going to surprise you. Because the worst match of the night for me, even though there was a match on this card that took 19 seconds, no, 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 no. Worst match was Rowdy Piper versus Bad News Brown. If you're going to incorporate all that fucking bullshit and have Piper paint himself half black, which, by the way, Bruce Pitchard and other people have said, that was 100% Piper's idea. Well, you're, you guys are the ones who let him go out there like that. And then you don't even have a finish, and it's just a garbage brawl match that doesn't do anything for anybody? Worst match of the night, worst program going into the show... And uh, worse casualties, as Bad News Brown left the company shortly thereafter. 
uh, during you know recent shoot interviews, he's claimed that he left because he was promised a world title run, and and Vince reneged on his promise. But regardless if that's true or not, I'm sure the Piper thing didn't help matters. We have a brand new Twitter account for this podcast. It is called WrestleMania Salvation. Just like the podcast, but you can find it at WrestleMania Sal. So follow me on Twitter for all the WrestleMania Salvation updates. Also follow the Rundown Proper at Rundown Podcast. Follow Troy at the Slasher Sanitarium Podcast. Follow Jason at JStewart0920. And subscribe to the Rundown where you'll get such amazing shows like Nitromania, The Rundown Sit-Down, and NXT Revisited. Both NXT Revisited and The Rundown Sit-Down back after a short hiatus this week with some phenomenal episodes. Uh, Jason sat down with all good Anthony Green, and Troy took us back to a time where NXT was hammered and hampered by the raw rebound because that was a thing. Also, in Nitromania, we're in 1996 and Hogan and Savage are still fighting like it was 1989. Also, follow all the shows in the Questionable Endeavor Network. Next time that we join you for WrestleMania Salvation, we are going to be talking about WrestleMania 7. We're going to find out why they never made it to the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And I just might have a special guest that's going to join me for this monumental episode as we, that's right, we discuss WrestleMania 7. Thank you and good night. <laughs>